It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. William Shakespeare once wrote, Love all, trust a few, do wrong to none. Good morning, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly, so let's get started. Good morning, Jonathan. What is happening on this fine Sunday morning? Good morning, Rick. Our question for this morning is, how do you learn to truly trust? And our theme text is found in Psalms chapter 91, verse 2. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Okay, so it's about trust. But do you trust me? Such a question pierces right down to the heart of any matter. For trust, true trust, is sacred. Any relationship, be it family, friends, business, or otherwise, will thrive when trust is intact. With trust, growth, change, and the conquering of obstacles are not only possible, but probable. With trust, there is security. When trust is broken... And it can be broken in an instant with a single word or a single action. When trust is broken, any relationship is headed for shipwreck upon the rocks of disappointment and despair. Rebuilding after such a shipwreck is a long and difficult process. So, how can we learn to trust the right things in a deep and secure fashion? So this morning, Jonathan, it's all about trust what is it how does it work how do we get it to work and how can our lives be better as a result of trust and uh, it's a wonderful day today 18 years ago rick to the day we started christian questions radio and we had to trust that the lord would bring us through this yeah and there was a lot of trust there i'll (laughs) tell you that (laughs) yeah that was right june 12th 1998 it was actually we started out on friday mornings that's right it was a friday morning from nine to ten and when we sat down in the studio to get started, it was the first time I had ever been inside of a radio studio. <laughs> <laughs> and then Anthony over there, remember, he was, oh, Anthony yeah. was working with us, teaching us. And, and Sean. And, 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 you know, then he said, 10 seconds, and you go, <laughs> <laughs> and then he points, like, you better start talking. <laughs> well, I froze, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, that sure was a, uh, an interesting uh, situation. 18 years, that's a long, long time. Yes, it is. So uh, we are we are grateful for the uh, the for, for God's overrulings in in our experience through all of this time, bringing us to this point. Amen. It really has been very 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 amazing. So on to the concept of trust. What is trust? Let's take a look first at the the online Merriam-Webster online dictionary. This is just part of the definition. Assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. One in which confidence is placed. Dependence on something future or contingent. Hope. 
And, you know, it adds hope at the end of that second, that, that last definition that mm-hmm. you read. And we're going to find out that hope and trust are really, really, you, you can't separate them if you get down to the purity of each of those things. So we're going to go, go through that in, in a few minutes. L- let's diverge just to a, a soundbite really quickly to s- kind of get things started. This was another TED Talk. And I love TED Talks because they are 10 or 15 minutes of truly focusing on something that someone has worked on and studied and thought about. And this was from James Davis, uh, Building Trust. So in here, he, in, in this little short soundbite, he's going to give us a, a defining of what he thinks trust actually is. Trust is a willingness to be vulnerable. You choose to take risk and be vulnerable to the other party. That means if I say I trust you, it means I'm willing to be vulnerable to you. I'm willing to take that risk. It's vulnerability and risk that drive trust. So I like that because it really puts things in a, in a, in a very important perspective to start. Trust is the willingness to be vulnerable. And you know, in the brotherhood of Christ, that is so important. Yep. When you share the trials and experiences you're going through, knowing that those ears that are listening are there to support and help you. Right, and the willingness to be vulnerable means that you put things out in trust that you are sensitive about. Exactly. That could actually do damage to you. It could. And you are willing to put those things into the hands of those whom you trust. And that's what this morning is about. How do we do that? Who should we be willing to trust and what does trust really mean? Because there's even much, much more to that. So in, in Scripture, trust carries different shades of meaning. So we're going to start, Jonathan, just with a couple of Old Testament words for trust. And, and, and there's different shades of meaning, and, and we'll, we'll see if we can make sense of all this. Well, the first one, Rick, is to hide for refuge or be confident or sure. So to hide for refuge. Sometimes I don't know if we would think about trust as hiding for refuge. But it's really indicating where you go to hide for refuge. Mm. Where are you hiding? It's a place that you trust. Yes. That you will stay safe. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's what's the other word and the, uh, the the definition? It's to flee for protection, to confide in. Okay. So there's in shades of difference. So we'll, we'll, let's take a look. Let's take a look at. Uh, a scripture that uses both of those words for trust and see if we can see how it's used a little bit differently. Each word is different so we can understand what's happening with all of that. So let's go to uh, Psalm 118, verses 5 through 9. Psalm 118, 5 through 9. From my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can men do to me? The Lord is for me amongst those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Okay, so there's a a comparison at the end of the, the verses. And the, the verses begin with, okay, I had distress and I called upon the Lord. There's the first lesson in, in trust. There you go. Because when you have trouble, who do you call? That's right. You know, where... <laughs> sorry, but I was just thinking about that. Where are you going to go? Ghostbusters? Oh, no. I knew that was I know. I'm head. sorry. But it just happens <laughs> inside the head and it just pops out when you're not looking, okay? 
<laughs> that's not what this is about. No, you go to the Lord. That's right. <laughs> in from, distress. And, and see, that's the thing. It's not like from my distress and from my my thinking it through and my analyzing it and my working on my distress, I went to the Lord. It's from my distress I called upon the Lord. The knee-jerk reaction mm-hmm. of the psalm is... I had great distress, so this is where I went. In prayer, go to the Lord. And that shows us the ability to truly trust. And so the first the first lesson this morning on trust is, what's our knee-jerk reaction when something goes wrong? Who or what do we do, go to? And sometimes, Jonathan, what we go to is not really that good. Oh, you're right. You know, sometimes we go to the emotion of rage mm. when something goes wrong. So what we're saying to ourselves, really, is my trust is in my rage. Ooh, See, wrong answer. You don't want that. So in the psalm, you have that knee-jerk reaction going to the right place. That's the first thing. But then it says, I will take refuge in the Lord rather than trust in man. Take refuge was the second word you, 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 you defined. It was to flee for protection or to confide in. That's right. Versus to take to trust in man to hide for refuge. So there's a shade shades bit of difference. But when it, it really gives a sense of being covered over, being really, really taken care of. I will be taken care of by the Lord rather than try to be taken care of by man. So what do we sum up the Old Testament understanding of the word trust? So, and this is a a real short uh, uh, exercise in trying to sum something up, okay, just looking at one scripture. But basically, when you look at the way these words are used in the Old Testament, Old Testament trust is to go to someone or somewhere with full confidence of protection, care, and comfort full confidence of not only acceptance but protection care and comfort that seems to be very physical it is it's physical and it's big it's big because if you know that you're going to go to the place where you're going to be protected and cared for there's this immense sense of relief by going there Okay, so you're right. There's a very physical approach to trust uh, in in the Old Testament. Now, let's just take a moment. Let's take a look at uh, a couple of New Testament words because the New Testament, interestingly, has a a kind of a different approach to trust. Now, both of them, both approaches come into play in terms of understanding what trust is and how it works. Uh, The New Testament, what what are the two words, what are their definitions? To expect or confide... And the lexicon says, to hope, to wait for salvation with joy and full confidence. Okay, so that's the fir- first word, is to expect or confide. The second word is to convince or to rely. Now, when you say to convince, you say, wait a minute, how does that have to do with trusting? Because if you're persuaded of something, that means you trust in it. Mm, good, good okay, point. So, part of the New Testament approach to trust is being persuaded of something or being persuaded toward a direction. But there's the persuasion. And it's not persuasion that you'd look at in the context of coercion. It's persuasion in the context of truly changing your mind or truly focusing your mind that, look, this is really what you need to do to the point of my action or my reaction is that of going forward in that direction. Okay. Okay. So in the New Testament, it's a little bit different. Let's take a look at a scripture in the New Testament that, again, uses both of those words as they do have a, a slightly different meaning and a slightly different take on trust. So in this segment, Jonathan, we're really 
laying out the groundwork for what trust is biblically, and then throughout the rest of the program, we're going to look at, okay, now that we know what it is, how do we make it work? So, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses uh, 8 through 10. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which has come to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope. And yet uh, he will deliver us. Okay, so the, the Apostle Paul is talking about afflictions that he underwent when he was in Asia. And he's describing them that the, we, he was burdened so severely, it was beyond his own strength. Now, that, that's quite an admission. Oh, it is. Because he's saying, this was too much for me. He didn't say it was too much for the Lord. Right, right. But he said, it was too much for me, so that, so that we would not trust, and that was that word, be convinced, be persuaded in ourselves, in ourselves, but in the Lord. So it gives you an idea of how trust works in terms of persuasion, so that I would not even think anymore that it was my own strength that would, would, would keep me. But I would have to think that I could only be kept by the strength of God. Mm-hmm. And Neat. so when you think of trust and persuasion now, it's a beautiful thing. Yes. Because you see, wow, okay, so that persuasion is a, a paradigm shift in your own head toward relying on God exclusively rather than your own strength. And Rick, the other word, uh, he on whom we have set our hope, uh, that's the other word for trust, and he, the Lord, will deliver us. Right. So, on whom we have set our hope, our expectation. That So, trust has to do with that looking forward, that expectation. So, in the New Testament, trust seems to be more of an intellectual application, being persuaded to the point of having true, deep, and transformational hope. So, hope and trust are irretrievably connected. Now, the question is, what do we do about it? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is... How do you learn to truly trust? Coming up, how is trust related to faith? Can you have one without the other? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, How do you learn to truly trust? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you could message us on your app. And if you don't have an app for your smartphone, go to your app store, type in Christian Questions Radio. It is a free service. All right. So trust and faith, are they related? You know, it's, it's like, remember that old song, Love and Marriage Go Together Like a Horse and Carriage? Yes. Well, are trust and faith, have, do they have that same kind of relationship? And the answer really is yes. If... If you want to be complete, you have to have both. 
one can't work without the other. Now, you can get through life with one without the other, but it's not going to be nearly as fulfilling as if you put them both in place. What do we mean by that? Well, let's take a look at the scriptures and see if we can find out. So, trust and faith are clearly linked uh, in one of the, and this is kind of a covert linkage here, okay. because you can't necessarily see it uh, unless you know what you're looking for, but they are linked in one of the scriptures that is often quoted in relation to defining faith, and that's Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 1, but we'll read verses 1 and 2. Now, faith is the assurance. Now, assurance means the setting under or the support of things hoped for. The conviction, and conviction means proof, of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. Okay, so faith is the support of things hoped for. The foundation. Right. Mm. But the word for hope is the same word for trust. One of the same words that we used in, in, that we're talking about in the first segment. Right. Okay, so really, faith is the assurance, the support of those things that we trust in. Oh, neat. So faith is the foundation. You have to have faith. Faith is the foundation for true, deep, life-changing trust. Faith puts us in a position to be able to see beyond our normal limits. That's what faith does. It puts us in the position to see things that we couldn't have seen before. Trust, trust the things hoped for in, in, this, in the scripture. The, uh, the things that we're persuaded of is the real, practical, and the sold-out changing of our lives to conform to those things which faith has revealed. So trust is selling out to what you see, selling out in action to what you see through faith. So they do work well together. And if you don't have both, you can't be complete. Let, let's go back to that TED Talk uh, from James Davis on building trust and he's going to be telling a story of an individual uh, named John. And this is a great story of trust when you hear the context of what he's talking about. So let's listen. My fiance and I, I were driving in Wyoming, in Jackson, uh, Jackson City, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And we looked up on the mountain, and there was a ski resort. And people were jumping off the mountain and paragliding off the mountain. And we looked up there and thought, should we? We thought, let's give it a shot. And we drove over there. We go up to the business and say, all right, tell us about paragliding. First person we saw was this guy right here, John. John comes up and basically says, I'm going to take you. We're going to jump off the mountain together. Now, you don't have any time. You've got to make a snap judgment. And there were, my fiancé and I, were look at, we looked at this guy and says, we really want to take that risk? Do we really want to be vulnerable to this guy? So, the story, it's a great example, because, you know, you're going to paraglide off a mountain, you've never done that before in your life. That's a scary looking thing. I'm sorry, that's just scary. Can looking. you trust him to keep you safe? Right. Whoa. So, how does he approach you? What does he look like? What do you feel? feel mm, like yeah. when you see this person who says, come on, let's go jump off a mountain together. This is scary. It is. But trust can either bridge the gap 
of from being afraid to taking action or a lack of trust can make it so you just run the other way and say, forget about it. This is not something I'm going to even consider. So we'll develop that story of trust throughout the program, but it's a great example because when you, it's, it's literally taking a leap of faith. <laughs> For sure. I mean, literally <laughs> taking a leap of faith. And it reminds me of several years ago when Trish and I went, um, um, what do you call it when you're going down the lines? Uh, uh, zip lining. Zip lining. Yeah, thank yep. you, Jewel. Jewel's in the studio there. And, uh, zip lining. <laughs> it was such a cool thing to do because it's a leap of faith. You jump off this this, this platform and you're maybe 200 feet up, off the ground and you just go zipping down this line. It's like, for me, that's like utterly cool. For Trish, it was like, whoa, I don't know if I want to do that. But we we did it. Anyway, so trust is is the idea when you look at that person, that guy whose name was John. Is he trustworthy? Mm. All right. So when you talk about trustworthy in Scripture, there's a great example that we've gone to many, many, many times in the past and got to go back to it again because there's deep lessons here. No pun intended on that either. (laughs) We're going to take a look at Jesus walking on the water and then Peter trying to do the same. Matthew chapter 14, verses 24 to 33. But the boat was already a long distance from the land. Battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out with fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Okay, so the context is, it's late... They're out on the water, there's wind and there's waves and all of that, and Jesus is walking on the water. Now look, that's not something you see every day, okay? It's just, it's just com- Or any day. Right. It is completely out of the ordinary. So for them to be afraid is legitimate and justified. Absolutely. So they're crying out in fear, and Jesus says, look, relax, it's me. So you have fear, plainly and legitimately present. Okay, and it's yes. and it's strong, mm-hmm. and it should be. Okay, sure. but faith is also present because P- Peter expresses a radical faith in his request. He does, and he says, "Okay, if it's you, command me to come out and walk on the water." Now, who would think of that, Peter? <laughs> right. I don't think I would think of that. I would think, "Are you sure it's you?" <laughs> Tell us where we were last a week. A little bit you know? more clarification <laughs> right, here, right? Right. But Peter just just jumps right out mentally. And says, okay, if it's you, Lord, then, then, then command me to come out and walk on the water. And notice he doesn't say, uh, is it okay if I do that? He's, he has such faith. He says, command me to do that, and I will follow what you say. There's, that's, showing, that's deep faith. That is. Okay, it's because that's seeing something that you wouldn't have seen before. So now let's, let's finish the, the, the section of scriptures, verses 29 to 30, 33. And Jesus said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped and those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, You are certainly God's son. 
So there's a lot of things that happen in those few lines that we want to really take a look at. Folks, we're talking about trust. We're talking about applying trust built upon the foundation of our faith. If you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you, perhaps experiences or questions or observations on faith and specifically trust. Our number is 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. And that means we're on right now. The conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.com. Contact us there with your questions or comments. Also, interact with us on our Facebook, or you could tweet us at CQNetRadio. So, we're looking at the Apostle Peter walking on water for a moment, getting scared, looking around, looking at the context, and beginning to sink. And Jesus reaches out and saves him and says, O ye of little faith. Okay, and you think about, what do you mean, oh, ye of little faith? <laughs> I mean, he just got out of the boat. He's walking on the water. Yeah, I mean, he cut him some slack, you know? Exactly. Well, let, let's finish the story. Let's see if we can figure out how this all works. So, so there's three basic points here, Jonathan, from, that, from, from Jesus saying, come to Peter and him stepping out and then being saved. Well, Rick, the first point is uh, to express a statement of radical faith. That's a start. It is, and it's a dramatic and important start. And Peter took that step. He expressed his faith and was willing to act on it. And the second point is to get out of the boat is a, another significant step. So it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to do it. Right. All right. So Peter did both. He said it and then he did it. So again, you look at that and say, yes, this is, this is faith. This is faith in action. No question about it. And the third point, Rick, is... To, again, fear and lose perspective is the revealing of a faith that needs more trust. And that's the point. He didn't have no faith. Jesus didn't say to him, oh, you faithless creature. No, he didn't. He said, oh, ye of little faith. I think we're confused on what that means. Yeah, well... from what Jesus is trying to say. Because Jesus is not is not reprimanding Peter. It's not saying you you poor example of a follower follower of me. That's not what he's saying. The interesting thing is uh, you know, we're talking about the, 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 the combination of faith and trust and mm-hmm. how you have to have both and they are different. They are very, very different, but together they, they create this 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 immovable force of goodness. The phrase of little faith comes from a Greek word which I am not going to try to pronounce. But Jonathan, what does the Greek-English lexicon define that word of little faith as? Well, Rick, it says, of little faith, trusting to little. All right. It's not saying you don't have faith. Right, right. So it's saying you've got the basis. Yeah. And again, faith is the ability to see things you couldn't see. That's good. That's a start. But when Jesus says, O ye of little faith, he's saying, okay, I'm recognizing that you have that ability to see things that you couldn't see before. But I'm also understanding that you haven't let it develop far enough so that your every action will live according to what you are seeing. So growth is required. Yes. In Jesus' mind. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so, so Jesus didn't say here. Okay. Where did your faith go, Peter? You started out so well, and then you started to sink. I mean, come on. I'm standing right here. What's the matter with you? There wasn't any of that. He didn't say, well, what did happen to you, Peter? Did you give up? Rather, he acknowledged that faith was present, but like you said, it needed to grow 
into unflinching trust. Now that's, you know, you say that faith needs to grow into unflinching trust. That's a lifetime of growth and development. Oh, it is. You don't get that right away. Right, right. <laughs> because we flinch a lot. We do. <laughs> okay. Experience is required. Right, right. And, and, and also, experience is required and failure is required. Yes, yes. Because until we fail in attempting to truly trust, we're not going to understand what's required of us to actually truly trust. Failure is a great, great teacher. And we just need to understand that learning to trust means we need to learn to learn from our failures so that we can grow through it. So other little faith examples of growing faith into unflinching trust, unflinching persuasion. So let's take a look at a couple of other instances where Jesus uses that phrase, Oh ye of little faith, because now we know it's it's not a it's not condescending, it's acknowledgement of faith as a base that just simply needs to grow. And when you look at it that way, it's like, oh, okay, I can do that. Yes. I can do that. I can learn how to do that. So let's take a look. Matthew six twenty-seven to 30. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So this is, I mean, Jesus is being very, very clear, saying, look, God takes care of the natural things in the world. Of course he's going to take care of what you need. Of course he is. I kn- now, I'm obviously doing a whole bunch of paraphrasing here, okay? <laughs> but, you know, I think Jesus is saying, look, I know you have faith in God. I know you know he'll take care of you. Trust in him. Right. Don't just know he'll take care of you. Live according to that knowledge mm-hmm. to the fullest degree possible. You of immature faith. You of faith that has such great potential but just hasn't arrived yet. That's what, I like you, that's what Jesus like that. is saying. Folks, again, if you have a thought, we're talking about trust and what it means in our lives and how it can absolutely transform how we act, what we say and do. Give us a call at 866-985-4255. And you can email us at rick at christianquestions.com. Let's go to Matthew uh, eight twenty-three to 27 before the end of this uh, segment here. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed Another him. boat thing here. <laughs> and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with the waves but jesus himself was asleep and they came to him and woke him up saying save us lord we are perishing and he said to them why are you afraid you men of little faith then he got up and rebuked the wind in the sea and it became perfectly calm the men were amazed and said what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him see now here's the interesting thing you know jesus is asleep in the boat the storm starts and what do they do they wake him up and say save us yeah so they know that he can that's a good point they absolutely know they have faith but he said you know why are you even afraid so he's taking them from the idea of yes i know that you know i can protect you but my question to you now is i'm with you why are you even afraid 
And they say, well, did you look outside? (laughs) (laughs) Don't you feel it? Don't you hear the wind? (laughs) But the point is, he's showing them the difference between having faith, between seeing and actually living. Trust is faith applied in what seems to be impossible. That is what Jesus is teaching us with that phrase, O ye of little faith. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, how do you learn to truly trust? Coming up, we don't get to walk on water, but how else does Jesus teach us to grow trust? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is How Do You Learn to Truly Trust? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you could message us on your app. And don't forget to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. All right. So when Jesus says, O ye of little faith, what we need to realize is he's saying, O ye of faith which has been established but simply needs to grow into deep, unflinching trust. That's what he's saying. And when we see it that way, it is a very encouraging thing that he's it is saying. very encouraging. Because, okay, you're on the path. Now focus on taking steps forward. And, Jonathan, too often we get on the path and we get comfortable where we are. Mm-hmm, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of steep and rocky up there. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've had enough for today. <laughs> uh, you know, but Jesus is saying, no, you've got you've to tread that difficult path because there is great reward on the other side. And the great reward... Uh, you know, forget about the heavenly reward for a minute here. Okay. The great reward is learning how trust can change your life. The peace that you would right. receive from yes. that kind of trust is is amazing. And we're going to really get into that in the second hour, actually. So let's go back to our, our, our story from James Davis at the TED, the, the TED Talk, uh, Building Trust. And remember, he was telling a story about this guy named John who was going to help them paraglide and jump off a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> with no strings attached. <laughs> okay. So let, let's listen. What drives my willingness to take a risk in John? Well, the first thing that drives trust is something called propensity. A propensity to take to trust. A propensity to take on that vulnerability and risk. Everybody, everybody is born with a propensity to take risk. It's driven by geography, it's driven by family, it's driven by upbringing, it's driven by society. So, a propensity. You have to have a propensity to take the risk. To step out of what you are normally comfortable with and do something entirely different. That's where trust comes into play, built upon faith. Remember, faith is being able to see and observe, 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 because <laughs> I was thinking observe and absorb, uh, and I tried okay. to combine the two words. <laughs> it didn't quite work. <laughs> <laughs> to observe and absorb the things that you see. But trust is living them, is taking those steps that go beyond. So Jesus gives opportunity for our professed 
faith to truly, truly blossom. And before we get to these next scriptures, Jonathan, we just got to mention uh, that we have our, our ChristianQuestions.com website has been completely overhauled. Yes, it has. And done, and it has been released, so we want to encourage all of you to check out ChristianQuestions.com, the website, tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you on that. Okay. The next account is going to be, when we read it, it's, we're going to read a combination of the three Gospels. Okay. All right. This is the account where Jesus um, uh, heals the the, the 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 boy who's possessed of a demon. Yes. You yes. know his father. You know comes and, and begs him. So it comes from Matthew seventeen fourteen to twenty one, Mark nine fourteen to twenty nine, and Luke nine thirty seven to forty three. So we because there's details in each of these accounts, we put the three accounts together. So we're going to read the combination of the three accounts. When they came back to the disciples... Now, this is after the Mount of Transfiguration experience. So, this was a very dramatic experience for the three, Peter, James, and John, with Jesus and the Transfiguration. They saw a large crowd around them, and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, What are you discussing with them? A man came to Jesus falling on his knees before him, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy, possessed with a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, he suddenly screams, and it throws him into convulsions, and it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, and grinds his teeth, and stiffens out. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't do it. All right, so you have a very dramatic need and you have an expression of faith. The father here of this of this boy shows great faith, uh, urgency, and humility. He does. Okay. I mean, he comes up, he kneels before Jesus, and he's he is desperate, and he sees Jesus, and his gut reaction is, "Oh, he can help," because nobody else could. And I'm sure he's heard all of the stories of all the healings right. that Jesus has performed. And remember, he says in this, he says that you know his uh, his disciples, Jesus' followers, had tried casting out this demon and they couldn't do it. Wow! So this is serious. And they had the ability. Right. They had the the right. spirit of miracles. So he shows this urgency and this humility, and the description of his son. Is, I mean, the way he describes it, it's really sad, but it's also very symbolic of the continuity of what sin produces. I mean, let's take a look at this. First of all, he's only a boy. Yeah, we're all innocently born into sin, aren't we? So it doesn't matter who we are, we are born with the defect of sin. All right? the, the, The boy becomes mute. Unable to communicate the true horror of sin. So in the midst of what's happening to him, he is not able to 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 let his father or anybody else know what's really happening and how he's feeling and his own fear. He can't he can't communicate, and that's what happens with sin. It it, it makes us so we get so uh, beat down by it. We just, we just we just, it ends up being an internal thing instead of something we can share. Mm-hmm. He's screaming in convulsions. The involuntary and horrible control that sin has over us. Sin's control over this world in many areas is involuntary. It's just not something that we can have control over because it's bigger than us. Just like these convulsions, he could not control. They did not come from him. The next point, he, this, this, this evil uh, spirit slammed him to the ground. Rick, we're unable to look upward for salvation without help. He could not control it. And he ended up 
kind of like with his face in the dirt all the time. And then finally, it says he's foaming at the mouth, grinding the teeth and becoming a, like a corpse. Sin ruthlessly takes lives. Because it made him look like he was dead. Yeah. Okay, so the description of this boy... It's the sin-sick world we're living right, in. Right. It's amazing. And so the father, in desperation and in faith, comes to Jesus with no other option for being able to fix the problem. So he describes the situation that's happening with his son to Jesus. And so now Jesus is going to answer him. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. So now, O unbelieving generation, it's interesting because the, the father goes to the to Jesus with his personal um faith with his faith and his and his and his situation his urgency yeah. but Jesus kind of gives his answer to the crowd as well so who was there the disciples and the Lo- people standing around right lots of people because it was a a very and some scribes yes were also there okay so you've got so so Jesus is looking at all of them and he addresses all of them, and he says, okay, bring the boy, bring the child to me. And, you know, Jesus is kind of saying, you know, when it says, how long shall I be with you? Again, it almost sounds like Jesus is condescending. Like it's a put down. Right, but it's not. He's really saying, look, how long shall I be with you? My time with you is so limited. I don't have a lot of time. Jesus saw the sickness of the world of sin and was there to, to show us that it can be fixed. And he's saying, I have, I, I'm limited because I'm just me here for a very, very short time. So, so what happens? They brought the boy to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsions. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. So the boy gets brought over and immediately the spirit is trying to show Jesus how strong it is. The, the spirit is saying, see, I got this. I got control of right, him. Right, right. And so Jesus, now here's the thing. Jesus is watching this happen. And Jesus doesn't leap into action. He doesn't just proclaim immediately for things to stop. He's standing there watching and he asks the father a question. Well, how long has this been happening? He says, well, since he's been a child. So he's giving his father ample time to reveal his own faith in the limitations of his own faith. Jesus is not in a hurry. And see, Jonathan, that's the important thing. We're trust When you trust those who don't have to be in a hurry because they truly do have the answers, that's where trust belongs. That's a good point. And Jesus here is not just rushing. He knows he can fix it, but he's trying to draw something else out on top of it. Okay, so, so what happens? But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. So the father's reaction to Jesus after he says, Well, this has been happening to my son since childhood. He says, But if you can do anything, just please take pity on us. Because it's like, okay, well, how come you haven't leaped into action yet? And, and, and Jesus says, what do you mean, if I can? You came to me 
What do you mean, if I can? Because Jesus knows who he is. Jesus knows what he, the, the, the power of God is flowing through him. He knows. He said, all things are possible to him who believes. And Jesus, by saying that, is putting this father in a position of saying, I know that. I believe, but I'm afraid. I believe, but I don't trust. That's what he's saying. When the father says, but I, I do believe, help my unbelief. He's saying, I believe, but I'm only seeing, I'm not living. And I know that, and I just need help. And that's what Jesus wanted to hear. He wanted to hear it because by hearing it, it meant the Father said it. And by saying it, it meant he realized what was going on inside of himself. And that was the other part of the healing that was going to take place here. And think of the lesson it is for all those that are listening around. Right. Right, it, it, it's it's enormous. Okay, we I gotta I gotta step up the pace here. We're running out of time. So faith and a lack of complete trust are now revealed. There is faith, but there's that lack of complete trust. By this, Jesus also helps the Father to grow. So now, what happens? When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, "You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again." After crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. So Jesus rewards this incomplete faith with blessing. This helps true trust to engage and to grow. All right, but it, it comes out where, you know, you look like, well, you know, it's all done. It's all over. It looked like he was dead. Jesus knew he wasn't dead. He just reached out and said, okay, get up. Okay, it's over now. It's over now. You know, just a, a quote. Well, forget the quote, Jonathan. We don't have time. So let's go back to the, um, to, the, to the finishing the context. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? So it's an important question because this was different. They hadn't seen this before. And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly, I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. So you can move the mountain from here to there, then you can go uh, paragliding off of it. <laughs> <laughs> but what he's saying is, why couldn't we do this? And his response to them is, because of the littleness of your faith. Because your faith is not grown up enough to be able to put into action what it sees. That's what trust is, and that's the difference. So again, faith is not complete uh, in, in, the, in the case of the Father. He, that's right. But it wasn't criticized either. Okay, I love that. By Jesus either. I love that. Nor with his disciples. Their faith was there, and he didn't criticize them. He said, look, you have faith, but you know your faith has to be like a mustard seed. It has to be able to grow into something much, much bigger when you look at the tininess of that seed and the bigness of the plant. You say, how did that come out of that? And the answer is because faith is the breeding ground for true and deep trust. In the second hour, folks, we're going to talk about the physical running and hiding in a place where God can protect us as an expression of our trust. So please stay with us. There's much, much more to go on faith and trust. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back after the news and all that. But till then, how do you learn to truly trust? We're just getting started. We'll be back soon. Think about it. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. 
Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Stephen Covey once said, Trust is the glue of life. It is the most essential ingredient in effective communication. It is the foundational principle that holds all relationships. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, the subject on the table is... Very important, Rick. And the question is, how do you learn to truly trust? And our theme text is found in Psalms 91, verse 2. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And, uh, you know, we didn't even touch on Psalm 91 in the first hour. We will spend the second hour entirely focusing on that in relation to trust. But actually, before we get started, Jonathan, with our recap, uh, we have, a, you know, somebody kind of a, a guest in the studio here observing what's going on. Yeah, she didn't want to be brought out. Uh, she was a little uh, shy. But my big sister, Lynn, uh, came and joined us in the studio. She's uh, living currently in Delaware right now. And, Rick, uh, she's grooming your new replacement. <laughs> Uh, Sophie here, uh, which is Lynn's teacup uh, Pomeranian. Uh, we have uh, headphones on her. It'll be on CQ Rewind. And uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and the little dog is so cute She's and adorable. so calm. I guess you want somebody calmer than me. Is that it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Check out CQ Rewind, the full edition. Check out uh, Sophie and her headset. <laughs> anyway, Lynn, thanks for joining us today. All right, so Jonathan, let's get to the recap. We we talked about the Old Testament and trust, and and what is kind of define what trust is according to the Old Testament. To go to someone or somewhere with full confidence of protection, care, and comfort. Okay, so it's very physical, going to someone or somewhere. The New Testament form of trust is what? More of an intellectual application, being persuaded to the point of having true, deep, and transformative hope. So that's the key. It's when we look at both together, you have that physical and that intellectual changing some kind of some 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 kind of or, uh, or other. We'll, we'll develop that as, as we go further. So faith is the foundation for true trust. That's right. Faith puts us in a position to be able to see beyond our normal limits. So faith is the eyes that can see and the heart that can perceive. Yes. And trust? Trust, uh, things hoped for, things we're persuaded of, is the real, practical, and sold-out change of our lives to conform to those things which faith has revealed. So it is the real, practical, and sold-out changing of our lives. And I can't stress that enough. It's selling out to your faith completely without, it, without uh, you know, an uninhibited selling out saying, this is how I live. No hesitation. No going back. No looking to this. And that's hard. It is. That's not something that just is going to happen because, oh, Lord, you pray, oh, Lord, increase my faith. It takes time and development, Rick. And failure. And failure. It takes failure to learn. All right. Now let's examine how to apply the Old Testament brand of trust to our New Testament lives. Because we talked about, really, a lot of the New Testament brand of trust in the first hour. Let's focus on the Old Testament brand of trust, that physical running towards something or someplace or someone to feel that real security. Let's go to 
Uh, Psalm 91, 1 to 7. Trust is the single concept which gives the following psalm its transforming power. So think of it as, as, as we start to read through this. Trust is behind everything that's being said here. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be like a shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor by the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. So the words for trust are both, the, both Old Testament words are both in the, the 91st Psalm in these first seven verses. And we're going to break this down essentially almost verse by verse, Jonathan, because there's so much here that tells us what it is we need to do to reposition our lives to live trust. It's not enough to live in faith, but we have to live in trust. Otherwise, we are just those of little faith that Jesus described. And we don't want that. No, it's a good start. Yes. It's a good foundation, but you, you, put, you, you pour the foundation for your house, but you don't move in. Okay? <laughs> you got to build the house. It's great to have a foundation, and you want it to be solid, but you got to have something to move into. Jonathan, let's go to the phones. All right. Well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. And congratulations. Oh, thank you. 18 minutes? You thought maybe you, was, you might survive? Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, the first, <laughs> first week it felt like that. <laughs> 18 days? 18 days? Here you are. 18 years. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. That's amazing. Well, John mentioned propensity. Yes. I have a propensity to modify at the moment. Uh, your first quotation, see if I recall it correctly this morning, love all, trust a few, and wrong no one, something like that? Yes, close enough. Okay. <laughs> well, if we could ask Mr. Shakespeare, this is my modification of that. Love all, trust God, wrong no one. In God we trust. Remember years ago there was a man, uh, it was mentioned in your program, and I don't recall exactly how or why. He changed his name to In God We Trust. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. God bless. Thanks, Julius. Appreciate your call. Good day, Bob. Take care. And, and, you know, Julius is right. It, it comes down to our trust has to be first and foremost in, in, in God above. And there's no question about that. Yes. The other aspect, though, of trust, Jonathan, is learning how to place our the appropriate trust in other people. In our relationships, because relationships, any relationship, be it a business relationship, a friendship, and a, just an association, a marriage, a, a, a parent-child relationship, if trust is flourishing, the relationship is guaranteed to flourish. Mm -hmm. If it is not, the relationship is guaranteed to crumble. So you got to have that aspect really, really there. And again, you can have faith in your spouse, but do you trust them? And again, how do we figure all that out? By looking looking up 
how do we trust God? And so let, let's go let's go back to the um, to the uh, um, TED talk from James Davis Building Trust. And remember, he's talking about trusting this guy whose name is John, who's going to help them paraglide off a mountain, something they've never done. And boy, does that take trust to 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 to, to, to jump off with no strings attached and fly down like right. And you know you're flying, but you're not in an airplane, okay? You know, you're just out there. All right, so he's going to be talking about three drivers to trust. He's going to be talking about, in this soundbite, the first driver, which is ability. What we found in our research are there are three major drivers to trust. Three drivers, three reasons we trust. And the amazing thing is it's our perception of that company. It's our perception of that other person that drives these drivers. The first of the three drivers is ability. Does that person, that person do what they say they can do? Are they able to perform what they say they can perform? Do they have that ability? All right, there's John. Does he have the ability? Well, he comes out and he's wearing that black helmet kind of unshaven. He's got that jump-off-the-mountain look. <laughs> he's got the swagger. He looks like he's jumped off a mountain before. And that's the key. When he looks at John, he says he's got the swagger, he's got that rough, tough look, and he looks like he's been there before. So he's got ability. And, th- and so you say, I can see the ability, therefore I can feel like I can trust. So that's a, a real important part of this. So in terms of that, let's put that now into the position of looking at Psalm 91. When we look at Psalm 91, verse 1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide uh, in the shadow uh, of the Almighty. The, there, there's something being focused on there, Jonathan. What is it? It's um, what is well, trust, dwell, trust dwelling. dwelling. Yeah, Right. Sure. I see where you're going. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad, really. What is your trust address? Okay, where do you live? What's the address? And, and, and kind of what Julia said, you know, trust God. Is that your address? Is that the, the, the place where you live? Or is your address trusting in yourself? Or doubting everything? Or second-guessing? Or just reacting? What's your trust address? And you can tell your trust address by your knee-jerk reaction when things go wrong. Where do you flee to in your head? Prayer. Well, hopefully that's the, that's, that's the answer. Trust needs to be properly focused. And, and that's what dwelling in the secret place of the Most High is. It's having that proper focus. First Timothy 6, 7-19. to Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So he's saying not to be conceited or fix their hope or trust, same word, in riches, on the uncertainty of riches, mm-hmm. but on God. Yes. What's the address? 
What's the address of your trust? Is it heavenly or is it, you know, the bank down the street or your 401k portfolio or your just your, your, your emotional reactions to life? What's your trust address? So that's where dwelling comes into play in verse 1. It says in verse 1 in Psalm 91, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. To abide in verse 1 is the question is how long are you willing to stay at that trust address? Because, you know, we can proclaim, yes, that's where I live, but do you really stay there? Let's look at 1 Peter 3, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And again, that word for hope is the same word for trust. Fix your trust completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but let, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. So, how long are you willing to stay at that trust address? Fix your hope, your trust, completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Completely. That means you have to stay there. That means it's a long-term lease, and the lease is for the rest of your life (laughs) and for all of eternity. That you've signed up for it, but are you actually fulfilling your part of the bargain? You know, our trusting in God through Jesus is part of what we said we would do when we gave our lives to Christ. That's right. Are we living what we said, or are we just saying what we think we should be living? (laughs) Big difference. It's a huge, huge difference. Trust expressed uh, through personal conviction in our lifetime, care for one another. Now, that's another aspect of this, is we show our trust in God through Christ by how we treat one another. Romans fourteen thirteen to 15. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convi- convinced that in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him from whom Christ died. So this now you say, well, what does that got to do with trust? And there were meat sacrificed to idols, right? And that was stumbling some, right? But and, and the apostle Paul says, I'm convinced, and that word for convinced is persuaded. One of the words for trust that there's nothing wrong with that. He says, but I care more about my brother sitting across the table than I do about that that conviction. So I'm not going to do something that's going to hurt him. Yeah, so injure our, his conscience. So our trust in God is shown by our care for others. That persuasion goes a long way in making, keeping things in order with the brotherhood. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, how do you learn to truly trust? Coming up, what must change in my life to show that I truly live my trust? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. 
Welcome back. Our subject for today is How Do You Learn to Truly Trust? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And don't forget to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, at ChristianQuestions.com. All right. And, and, you know, CQ Rewind, the full edition, it's a great tool because a program like this, we're talking about a lot of things. Well, it puts it in print. You have the graphics and the illustrations and, and you get it. And you want to see Sophie with the headphones. <laughs> That's true. Y- your future replacement. Uh, my replacement. Being <laughs> <laughs> replaced by a little, little, cute little dog. There you go. Uh, so sign up now. It's a free service. And if for some reason, folks, you don't like it, it's, you, you opt out with a click of a button and it's done it's but, a free service but it, it's a wonderful wonderful tool for study all right so so jonathan we we're, we're focusing on building trust and we're looking at the 91st psalm now and looking at how does that teach us trust and so far we've talked about you know abiding in in the uh, secret place of the most high dwelling there you know that's where you live that's your new address but you have to stay there uh, let's go back to the TED Talk uh, by James Davis on trust, on building trust. And remember, he said there were three drivers toward building trust. One is looking at the ability of that person that you are looking to trust. Second is looking at benevolence. So let's take, because that's an unusual word. People don't usually use that word too often, but it really makes sense. Let's listen. The second driver is benevolence. Do they care about me? Now here's John. I know he can jump off the mountain, but man, I'm telling you what, I saw those paragliders coming down and they were corkscrewing down and I saw some pretty dang green people after they got off the mountain and I knew John could cause me a lot of discomfort. You know, we'd survive, but I might not wish I'd survived. And so, does John care about me? We talked to him, and I, got, I began to feel like, yeah, we began to connect a little bit. I be, we began to connect. And, and John, I felt like, cared about me. Now, here's the interesting thing here. If they care about me, it's not driven by their ego. Okay? They don't care about me for their own gratification. They really care about me. And if they really care about me, I'm more apt to trust. That is such a powerful observation. You know, and I'm listening to him thinking, okay, he can do it, great, but does he care about me in his, in, in, in me trusting him? Am I the most important thing to him? Or just the money. Right. Right. Is it just, okay, you know. Pay me. Yeah, and, and on to the next one, on to the next right. one. Okay. And, and you know, I was, when I was listening to that, I was thinking about Greek mythology. And, you know, the Greek gods were built in the image of man. And what you think, when you see the Greek gods, they're all about themselves. And that's why they all have all of these flaws. But God Almighty is not. And that's the difference. That's why we can dwell in the secret place of the Most High. And you can truly trust the benevolence of God because it's not, it's not about his ego. No. It's about us, about him caring for us. So Psalm 91, let's, let's touch now on verse 2. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. So there's several things here in verse 2 that are important. First is, I will say of the Lord. What are you doing? You're proclaiming. 
Okay, you're, you're saying, you're speaking the words. So now, remember, we talked about your address, your, your, your change of address, mm-hmm. you know, is, what's your trust address? Well, when, in proclaiming, I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress, and him will I trust. The question is, who have you sent out your change of trust address forms to? <laughs> who, who have you proclaimed to that this is where I live? Because if it's it, the more people we proclaim it to, the more we convince ourselves that that's where we belong. Absolutely. So that that outward proclamation is another important aspect of our trust in God. Instilling trust through logic and teaching is something the Apostle Paul really focused on in the New Testament. Let's look at Acts nineteen eight through ten. And he entered the synagogue and continually spoke. Boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannius. This took place for about two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So it's talking about the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And what it says here, he entered the synagogues and continued speaking out boldly for three years, for three uh, three months rather, reasoning and persuading them. But he changed his address. Right. <laughs> he went he, from the synagogue right, be, to the school. <laughs> because he was finding a, 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 a pushback that wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. So he went someplace else. But the point is, he was persuading them. He was teaching them yes. to leave their, 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 their old ways of trusting behind and to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was saying this is the centerpiece, the linchpin of what the Old Testament really was all about. So you have to build your trust higher than it was before. Come with me. So he was showing them that they were, he, he was helping them to change their address. Gotcha. Their trust address had to be in God as it had been now through Jesus as it should be. So live your trust. Walk the walk. Live the life. Right. That's also part of Psalm 91 verse 2. Because when you say it, what are you saying? Well, he's my refuge and my fortress and him will I trust. You have to walk the walk and live the life. Um now, an interesting thing about trust in the New Testament is it's, it's also described as an outgrowth of love. Remember the soundbite it talked about benevolence? Yes. Benevolence is caring about the other person and not worrying about yourself. The highest form of love in the New Testament is exactly that, that agape love, the, the, the Greek word agape. So 1 Corinthians three uh, 13, verses 4 through 7. And the word for hopes in this verse, once we get to it, is the word for trust. Love is patient. Love is kind, and it is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. So, that benevolent love, when it's properly placed, placed, trust is an outgrowth of that. It trusts all things. Right. Hopes all things. Hope, trust, same thing. The idea is that is where we must live. And again, folks, when something goes wrong in life, what is your knee-jerk reaction? Because your knee-jerk reaction will, will, will declare to you in living color what it is that you truly trust. 
And if your knee-jerk reaction is to lash out or to uh, uh, run away or to um, be jealous or whatever it is, any of those things are saying, okay, that's what I'm trusting in. And that's the way – wait, wait, wait. That's what I'm trusting in. Oh, yuck. Something has to be bigger, stronger, and better. I have to change my trust address. So the, the, the New Testament also defines trust as a very tenacious characteristic. Uh, we're going to look at Romans eight twenty-two to 25, and this uses a word for hope. It uses hope many, many times at the, in the latter verses of, the, of this text. And the word for hope, it's a slightly different word um, – but it comes from the same root word as for trust. Okay, so we, we're going to see it as something that's very, very tenacious in our lives. Romans eight twenty-two to 25. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. The redemption of our body. Okay, so the apostles setting up the context. The world is groaning and travailing in pain. We in are sin. To, in sin. In sin. Remember death. the first hour, yes. the, 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 the example of the, the, the boy yeah. and, and, and the, the, uh, the, the evil spirit that had overtaken him and how it showed. That's what the sin looks like. And so the apostles saying, okay, all of this, that's what exists for them and for us. Yes. And now comes the hope and trust part. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, the perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So what the apostle is saying is, in spite of what... Folks, look, listen, listen, listen to this, because this is really important. In spite of what the world looks like right now, does your hope and trust lift you above it because you tenaciously expect something different? Better. Better. <laughs> Way better. Yeah. Completely better. It says, we don't see. You don't look. If you look at our society, Jonathan, and the way it's crumbling before our very eyes, I mean, the moral society has, is, is falling apart. At such an alarming rate, I look at it and I and I and I nod my head in 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 disbelief at at what's happened to us. And you say, "How could God?" And this is going to be a subject coming up pretty soon. How could did God lose control? I mean, is the world that bad? And and where is God in all of this? What this scripture is saying is, look, hope or trust is placing your faith, the things that you perceive, in something that may not be tangible right now. But it says, if we hope in what we don't see, with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. So, you know, you don't eagerly wait for something that you dream about. I wish I had a million dollars, and I'm going to sit here and just dream about what it's going to feel like when I get it. Well, what are you doing to earn it? (laughs) You know... this is about a hope that is real. The kingdom of God. And that hope says, I can trust in that. I can run to it and hide within that because that is where my security is. It's not in my reactions. It's not in the, 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 the disingenuous approach of this world. It's in God's plan. 
with all this being said about trust, folks, if you have a thought, I keep forgetting about the phone number. It's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. Just want to throw one scripture in here, Jonathan, about what not to trust. Okay, because we've been talking about, you know, focusing our trust in the new address and all of that. What should we not trust? Well, Philippians 3.3 3 tells us. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. There you go. There you go. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how educated you are. I don't care how good you think you can be. Our confidence should be beyond our own flesh. Yes. The Apostle Paul the said The flesh it, will fail us. It will. It will ultimately fail us. That's why trust is such an important structure to build upon our faith. Okay, Psalm 91, verse 3. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. All right. So... In Psalm 91, 2, it talked about proclaiming, you know, who have you sent your change of trust address forms out to, and then living the trust, walking the walk, living the life, and so forth. Now, in Psalm 91, verse 3, it says, it's talking about deliver, being delivered from the snare of the fowler, from the noisome pestilence. What's it saying? Being tested. So, what it's saying is, once you've changed your address, and once you live there, don't think for a second... That it's all going to be easy. That's right. Not for a second. <laughs> you will be tested. But it also talks about being delivered. And, and let's, let's look at an interesting test, which is kind of an odd test because a lot of times we think, well, all the tests that we're going to get, you know, they come from Satan. Sometimes the tests we get come from those who are around us who really want the best for us, but maybe are not pushing us in the right direction. Not because they're trying to push us in the wrong direction, but because they care. Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Acts chapter 21, verses 10 through 14, is the, uh, the Apostle Paul. And uh, there's a failed attempt to gain his trust by some of the brothers and sisters. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When he had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. So the brethren there were saying, you can't walk into that trap. This is prophesied. Right, right. I mean, this is a warning. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? weeping and breaking my heart for i am ready not only to be bound but to even die in jerusalem for the name of the lord jesus and since he would not be persuaded we fell silent remarking the will of the lord be done this is a powerful example because they want to protect him and he doesn't trust what they're saying he trusts their sentiment but not their action. Because he knows that's where he is supposed to go. And he says, it says he would not be persuaded. He didn't trust that, them. And he said to them, well, don't break my heart, because I know you're doing this because you love me. This mission was given to him right. 
at the very start that he would be before kings right. preaching the, the gospel. And his message here is, I'm willing to die for the gospel. That's what I trust in. And so they had to learn to trust in what the apostle trusted in. And their reaction to protect him, while it was a wonderful gesture, was misdirection. Paul understood it, explained it, and stayed true because his trust in God and Christ was far greater than the emotion. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, how do you learn to truly trust? Coming up, what does a life fully engaged in trust look like? That's next. You're listening we to continue Christian the conversation Questions 24-7. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is how do you learn to truly trust? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And we now have Instagram, so go to our new website at ChristianQuestions.com and interact with us. That's right. Website's been completely overhauled. It's really kind of cool. You want to check it out. Let us know what you think. ChristianQuestions.com. All right, Jonathan, our final segment, you know, what is a life fully engaged in trust actually look like before we get to back to psalm 91 let's go go again to the uh, sound bites from james davis the ted talk he gave on building trust and uh, remember he said that there were three drivers uh, toward to trust and the first was ability the second was benevolence and the third uh is integrity let's listen but there's one more factor that factor is integrity integrity is having a set of values that other people agree with. You live by those values, and other people agree with those values. Integrity means I have a set of values, I live those values, and you trust me because of those values, and you believe in those values. In other words, if you say you're going to be there, you're going to be there. If you say you're going to be honest, you're honest. If you say you're going to be trustworthy, courteous, you, you will be, and you agree with it. Not driven by ego. It's real. So, integrity, benevolence, and ability. Those are the three drivers of trust. And, and integrity is such an important thing. Because you can really trust someone that does what they say they're going to do the way they said they were going to do it. Yes. You can really trust someone who has always been firm in their approach to things. When someone vacillates on things and you're, you're wondering, well, you know, can I trust them today or should I wait till tomorrow? Then the whole idea of, of implicit trust just it goes away. It does. God Almighty is the one who never changes. There is no shadow of turning with him. That is why our trust belongs there. Let's go to Psalm 91 verse 4. Now remember, this is the verse after being tested. 
Okay, you're going to be tested, and all these things are going to happen. But Psalm 91:4, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. So here in verse four, it's allow yourself to be thoroughly covered and hidden. Take refuge. That's what it means, the Old Testament word for trust. It means to take refuge, to go there and be covered saying, I'm safe here. I'm nourished here. I am, uh, I'm able to move forward here versus there. What's the ultimate focus of our trust? It's a, it's a wonderful picture, hiding the under his feathers, under his wings. I mean, and that's what a bird will do with its young, is it literally will hide them under their wings to protect them from, from predators and things like that. That's right. That's the picture you can trust in that. The ultimate focus of our trust, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. We have fixed our hope, trust, on the living God. And, 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 I, and I love the way it says it, on the living God. The rest of them, no, not so much living. They're dead. You know, remember? remember <laughs> they're, when, when, they're made up. They're well, fake. <laughs> well, with Elijah, with the, the idols, oh, you know, yeah. of Baal, yeah. and, and, he, and he's talking to the idol. Well, you know, you know, it's the idol, or maybe, maybe he's out to lunch. Maybe, maybe he's not listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the idea is God Almighty is there, and he is worthy of trust because he has the ability as the creator of all things. He has benevolence. His love for us is unmatched, and he has integrity. God does what he says he's going to do. And Rick, the verse just said he's the savior of all men, and especially for believers. Right. Showing his perfect plan of salvation for all mankind. So that's the kind of God I will trust in. And, and you know, that, that's so important because when you realize that the God of heaven actually has a plan, and it does include all mankind, you say, wow, that is a benevolent God. Yes. And how is that going to work? A lot of details. That's for another day. But the idea is he's worthy of our trust. He has full integrity. Absolutely, positively full integrity. Trust in full action. Let's go to Romans chapters 8, verses 33 to 39. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. All right, now just, just pause there for a second. Because... You think about that for a second. Okay, who's going to say to you, uh, if you're following Christ, you know, God through Christ, who's going to say to you, ha, you're guilty of this or that because you're doing those things? We don't have to worry about that if, if that's what we're following, if that's where our trust address truly is, if we've decided to stay there, if we've sent out the notices that this is where we live and then we live the life that we say we live. God's the one who's going to judge us, not anybody else. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather than who, rather who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who also intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? So who has the ability to change our trust address. That's what this is asking. Only we. Right. 
to change it. None of the stuff on the outside, if we are truly abiding in the secret place of the Most High, none of the stuff on the outside can get to us to change our address because we are hidden under His wings. Go ahead. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So, so in that trust, the very next thing is, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Great. Now, wait a minute. We're you dying know. every day. <laughs> and you say, is that part of it? And the answer is, yes. That's exactly what we signed up for. And we can trust that it will happen in relation to the plan of God and to nothing else. For I am convinced that... And, and, and that word for convinced there is one of the words for trust. Okay, right. Persuaded. I am persuaded. This is something I can trust in. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I like with this particular translation, the New American Standard Bible, it says, nor any other created thing. Because, you know, there's, there's one thing in all of the universe that's not created. God Almighty. Yes. Nothing that has been created, nothing that has been polluted through sin or Satan's influence, has the ability to take us out of that life of full trust under the shadow of the Almighty, unless we let it. So it is a great, great promise of here's how your life will look if you truly engage in trust, which means you have the foundation of faith, it's a solid, strong foundation, and faith is what we see with our eyes and perceive with our heart, and trust is taking those things that we see and perceive and putting them into action, taking steps that end up being bold, that people look at and say, whoa, what are you doing? And the answer is, I'm trusting in God. Now, it doesn't mean you do stupid things. It, to, to the world, they may look stupid because you're dedicating your life to a higher purpose. Yes. To God, it's a blessing, and, and we are blessed by it. Quick quote from George MacDonald. Few delights can equal the presence of one whom we trust utterly. And I think there's, there's just let's pause on that for a second because there's a lot of things in life that delight us. You know, during the break we were talking about eating food. Uh, right. Food is delightful. <laughs> okay, it really is. I mean, you know, good food. I mean, everybody loves, you know, something that's really, really tasty and so forth. But there are few delights in life that can equal the, equal the presence of somebody that you utterly trust. Because there is such a sense of comfort, peace, of understanding, mm-hmm. of being understood, yeah. of, of the, the idea that everything is okay. When a child, for instance, is afraid they had a bad dream, what does mom or dad do? You pick them up and you hold them tight and the fear begins to melt because they have been embraced by those whom they trust more than anyone else. Folks, it's the same thing if we are living a life in Christ. We, in the embrace of Christ, in serving God, can have the same kind of trust, that same kind of sense. Psalm 91, verses uh, uh, what 5 through 7. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday, 
A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. So now verses 5 through 7 are saying, live in strength and courage, the result of a life that is fully engaged in and sold out to a deep and abiding trust. That's what verses 5 through 7 are showing us. And we're going to wrap up with Romans 5, 1 to 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Okay, our exaltation is in the hope of the glory of God. What would make someone truly exalt? Complete trust, Rick. Complete, total, focused trust. Not as a result of emotion, but as a result of faith truly being in action. With this trust so firmly set, we are. what are we now able to do? Well, let's go further with Romans chapter 5, verses uh, 3 to 5. And not only this, but we also exult in tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit which was given to us. All right. Because we can exult in our tribulations, we know that that will trigger the growth reaction, not necessarily emotional reaction, but growth reaction of perseverance. And perseverance triggers the growth reaction of a proven character. Because you don't get a proven character unless you have to persevere through something. That's right. Okay, so things have to go wrong. And a proven character uh, it brings us to the idea of true trust, true hope. Because that, and Jonathan, that's how we get there. We can't get real, real, deep, true, abiding, transform, transformative trust by just saying, I want to have it, therefore it's there. No. You have to go through the tribulation and the perseverance and the proven character, and that brings you to hope, which is trust. And hope doesn't disappoint. And what a great thought that is. Mm -hmm. If you have that true, deep trust, it will not disappoint you because the love of God has been poured out on your life. So folks, having sold out to trust in God's future plan for all brings us to be able to have a sold out trust throughout all of the present difficulties in our lives. That's right. It doesn't matter what they are. We can live, apply the principles of that sold-out trust that has to be built on faith. And a word about faith here, Jonathan, is, you know, our faith doesn't come just because we believe one day and then we're set. Our faith is planted perhaps that way, but it has to be growing and developing through study, through fellowship, and through application. That's where our trust can begin to take its roots. There is no better way to live life than living with a full and unencumbered trust in divine power, both in in our present life and difficulties and in the future. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We've certainly enjoyed being with you, talking to you about something that sometimes we just don't think enough about, but trust is a powerful, powerful part of a true Christian life. Make sure you look at it, understand it, and work with it. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week. But till then... Truly, truly trust. Think about it.